Lord Jesus, as, as we've taken the bread this morning and remembered your broken body, God, as we have um, drank this morning and remembered uh, your blood poured out for us, God, uh, in this time, may there be nothing between us and you. Holy Spirit, when we ask for you to come in this place, when we ask for you to reign in this place, I hope we mean it. I hope, God, this morning that we're ready to encounter you and, God, where, where there's rebellion in our hearts, God, where we've lived our life this week and said, no, 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 this is mine. God, I pray that you would uh, you'd break that in us today. But God, when we sing, let it rain, God, we would mean it. The Holy Spirit, not just your presence be here, but God, that your presence be in control. That God, we would say, not, not me, less of me, and all of you. So God, move in this time. Speak to us. God, where people need to be comforted, bring comfort. Where people need humble, to be humbled, humble them. God, just meet with us today. Have your way. We love you. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys can be seated. Well, we are so happy you're with us this morning. Um, I, I want to say real quick, this is our last week of a series we've been on called uh, You Have Heard It Said. Uh, now, next week, I'm really excited. Next week is, uh, is Palm Sunday, um, and, and we're going to be talking about dirty laundry. Um, and, and no, this is, not, this is not an opportunity for you to bring a hamper of laundry, all right? Like, it won't work. I, I tried that. I bring one everywhere I go. It's called my trunk, and uh, they're still there, all right? No one cleans it. But anyway, so, no, but what we're going to talk about next week is um, we all have dirty laundry in our lives, all of us. Um, and, and maybe it's public, maybe it's something people know, and maybe it's not. But the reality is God isn't leaving us uh, to our own filth. God isn't leaving us um, with our own burden. Uh, he's coming as a conquering king uh, to take that and to make peace for us. So we're going to talk about that next week. I really, really, really encourage you, if you're asking people to come Easter Sunday, and I hope that you are because of all the Sundays, most people will come on Easter. Uh, but, but I hope that you also invite them next week because next week's going to lead right into Easter Sunday. Um, they're both going to be spectacular weeks. Um, and it's going to be exciting. So let's conclude today, all right? We've got, uh, 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 you've heard it said uh, this week, and, and this is Jesus. We've been going through Jesus saying, if you're going to be a citizen of the kingdom of heaven, if you're going to be a follower of mine, this is your character. This is what you'll be like. Um, and so as we've gone through that, we've seen several different things. We covered anger. Uh, we've covered lust. We've covered divorce. We've covered oaths. And we covered retaliation last week. And so before we get to our topic this week, I, I think I have to, I have to start in a, in a very uh, sports-like mindset. It's baseball season now, so if I could, please, if I could, join in. Here we go. Oh, oh, oh. come on. Oh, 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 where are we at, Braves fans? Come on, where are you? That's right. I'm ashamed of you. I'm ashamed of you. Hey, look, sports brings people together, all right? It just does. All right, what about this? Dun, 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 dun. There you go. Okay. All right. We can get behind that. All right. But there's nothing like camaraderie, right? Sports camaraderie. Now, now here's the thing. During basketball season, the whole city are Tiger fans. And if you're not, leave. 
Okay, leave. We don't need you, all right? Nor do we want you, all right? But no, like it, it brings people together. And, and I find that when people wear like a Memphis Tiger logo or, or you know, maybe even they don't. And you're in the city of Memphis. I find that I talk to more strangers, you know, don't you? Like you'll be in, a, in an elevator and someone's got a Tiger shirt on and you'll be like, man, you know, did you see that game the other night? Oh, of course I did. You know, like it's just, it's just like this weird, you know, just, just unify. It's stupid, but that's what we're unified over, basketball. But anyway, we, we're all together on that. And, and part of being in a, in a group of people that, that love a team so much is that we hate other teams. Like, like we love our team, but oh, I hate your team. I hate your team, right? What just happened? Oh, gosh. All right, yeah. Did you, did you feel the emotion in the room, right? We love our Tigers, but oh, we hate Calvary, right? Uh, now listen, I, I wasn't able to be there, and I'm sorry that I wasn't, but the, the Grizzlies finally got back to the playoffs the other night uh, for the first time in five years. That's, yeah, okay, all right. And, uh, and so we're excited about that. We're excited about that. We built that FedEx Forum for a reason. Uh, and, and so I wasn't able to be there. I wasn't able to be there, and, and partially because no one gave me any tickets. Come on, what's up with that? Uh, I'm, I'm fun. I'm fun to be around, all right? Like, I'll, I'll buy your nachos, all right, as long as you sit courtside. So anyway, I wasn't able to be there, but, but I heard that somebody was there. Can we put the de- uh, Calipari back up? All right, yeah, I heard he was there, and I heard he was in a skybox, and, and I heard that when they showed him on the Jumbotron, there was this huge boo, just a unified booing, right? Now, here's the thing. When we won that game, I say we, I didn't score any points. When the Grizzlies won that game, they were making it to the playoffs. And so I heard that the place just erupted because we're back in the playoffs. It was so exciting. However, I also heard that the loudest, most unified moment in the whole game was when they showed Calipari on the Jumbotron and it was the booing of Calipari. We love our Tigers and oh, we hate anybody who doesn't. Right? Like we just, oh, right? You know, like uh, the, this whole, everyone's bracket was messed up this year with the NCAA, wasn't it? Did anyone pick VCU to make it as far as they did? You're a liar, all right? And liars go to hell, okay? You did not do that, all right? And so anyway, it, everyone's bracket was messed up, but I still watched. You know why I watched? Oh, I was rooting against Kentucky so hard. Like, I, you know, like I didn't care who they were playing, just like, Oh, right? You know, just please just beat them right now. Now, this is an amazing thing is that it's been years since, since uh, Cal left us. And uh, he really did a lot for our program while he's here. And, and he left in a really terrible way. But you know what? We got Josh Pastner. I love that guy. And what a potential. Really? Clap for Pastner? I love Josh Fastner, and he's, he's, he's a great coach now. He'll continue to be a great coach. we got a great team this year. Next year, we're just going to walk into the national championship. You can quote me on that. It's being recorded. Uh, it's just going to be fantastic, right? But we're still angry, right? And why? Because in our culture, like, if you wrong us, we're going to hold on to that, right? And you're becoming our what? Our enemy. That's what we're talking about today. We're talking about enemies. And you might say, don't I have the right to be angry? And if you're talking about Calipari, yes, you do. No, no. But don't I have the right, you know, to, to, for them to, they're my enemy, okay? They wronged me. Or you might take, no, 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 I have enemy. You don't know, okay? He cheated on me. She left me, all right? I was fired for no reason. I, this whole group of friends turned their backs on me. I have enemies, and, and rightfully so. Really? Let's see what Jesus says. Let's see what Jesus says about it. If you have your Bibles, we're in Matthew chapter 5, verse 43 through 48. 
is where we are this morning. And again, as always, if you don't have a Bible, uh, but you have a smartphone or something like that, you can get the YouVersion Bible app. It's free. It's fantastic. You can follow along there as well. Uh, Matthew 5, verse 43 through 48. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons uh, of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You therefore must be perfect, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Now, here's what we're going to do. We do this every week, but in case you've never been with us before, we're just going to go back through the scripture, uh, verse by verse, and unpack it together. Um, I could come up with my own bullet points and I want you to realize this and remember this, but Jesus is a lot smarter and better, okay? And so we're just going to follow what he's... Really? I mean, I can't disagree, but was that... Come on. All right. Yeah. All right. Verse 43. Ugh. All right. Uh, verse 43. You've heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Now, this is our world, right? This is the way we think even. And, and this is what they were taught. This would literally be taught by religious leaders. Love, you know, love your neighbor, hate your enemy, okay? It just makes sense. Just hate them. That's what you do. And, and that's what we do in our world. And, and no matter how nice you are, no matter how righteous you are, you're going to have enemies. We all do, right? Like as, as just wonderful and, and, and loving of a person as I am, I have enemies, all right? Like, I don't know. I don't know why, but we all have enemies, right? Like if you watch The Simpsons, one of the greatest pictures is Ned Flanders, Homer Simpson's neighbor, most loving, gracious person in the world, and Homer hates him, right? Like we all, we have enemies. It's just how it works. There's a man who was being, uh, uh, he, they were putting him in the paper because he just turned 100, and they were interviewing him, and the, and the reporter said, um, you know, is there anything, is there anything about being uh, 100 that, that you feel is such an accomplishment? And he said, you know, um, I don't have a single enemy in this world. And the guy says, wow, that's absolutely amazing. He says, yeah, outlived them all, right? Like, we, no matter how long you live, no matter how young you are, we all have enemies, right? Now, here's the thing. Well, we need to understand what an enemy is according to this first century audience, okay? So remember, re remember his audience. We have to think who he's talking to and what he's saying. So who do they consider an enemy? Who do, most of the people he's talking to are Jews. And, and, and who do they consider an enemy? And, and there are definitely Gentiles in there, but their mindset was very similar. Who do they consider an enemy? And, and here's a quote um, from a, a Roman historian, and here's what they said about a Jew. A Jew sees a Gentile fall into the sea. Let him by no means lift him out. For it is written, Thou shalt not rise up against the blood of thy neighbor. But this is not thy neighbor. So what this shows is that a Jew considers a neighbor is anyone who is a Jew or of fellow faith of them. An enemy, anyone else. If a Gentile falls into the ocean, don't even try to get him out. Because he's not your, he's your enemy. Let him go. Right? Let him drown. And, that, and that's who they consider that. And you might say, like, why would they say this? Why would they say that only their neighbors are Jews? Like, we're not even that rough. Well, here's why. And we're the same way. And here's, here's what I mean by that. Is that every other people group to them at some time had pretty much risen up against the Jewish people. They had harmed them in some way. Maybe not them directly. Maybe their ancestors. But they had harmed their people group. And so they said, we've been harmed by you before. So you're our enemy now. 
And so we're the same way. That's what an enemy is to us, isn't it? It's someone who's harmed us in some way. Maybe emotionally, maybe physically, but we've been harmed. Um, And so that's who they consider. And so here's something else that this shows, though. This shows that a fellow Jew could not be an enemy. Now, is it possible that a fellow Jew might harm another Jew? Yeah, absolutely. But they can't be an enemy. And this is very important for us to, to think about here. Because when I said the word enemy, some of you thought of someone sitting in this room. Some of you thought of someone who is a fellow believer. They cannot be your enemy. They can't. It, it, it can't happen. It can't work. You are a, a child of God and so are they. We're brothers and sisters. We're commanded in Romans chapter 12, 18. If possible, so far as it depends on you. If it's up to you, then live peaceably with all. And when, when, you, when you live as an enemy of another brother and sister, you're, and you're preventing that peace that God's commanded both of you, then you're causing them to sin. And by causing them to sin, you're sinning against who? Not them, but Christ. It says here in 1 Corinthians 8, 12 through 13, sinning against your brothers and wounding their conscience when it is weak, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat, lest I make my brother stumble. What he's saying is that there are people, there are Christians who don't like to eat eat the meat that's sacrificed to idols. And Paul says, look, you know what? It doesn't matter. We, we know, we're smart enough to know that we can eat the meat. It doesn't really matter. But they're young in their faith and, and, and that makes them stumble by us eating meat. So you know what? I care about them and I'm not going to sin against them by eating meat. Even though there's nothing wrong with it, it hurts them. So I'm not going to do it because I love them. So the reality is, if you are preventing peace from being made between you and another believer, then you are horribly in rebellion. Horribly. There are, there's no such thing as an enemy in the body of Christ. It doesn't work. You've both been bought by the blood of Christ. You're both children of God. It doesn't work. So if I said enemy and you thought of someone in the body of Christ, if they're in this room, do not leave this room until you make it right with them. And if they're not, that's what you do today. You said, I was going to Lowe's. Forget Lowe's. Go to them, all right? Go to them and make it right because there are no enemies in the body of Christ. There can't be. It's sinning against Christ if there are. So as we, as we see that, we see who they consider an enemy, who they consider a neighbor, okay? If, if that's who they consider an enemy, who they consider a neighbor, um, a Jew would say a fellow Jew, someone who's, who's, uh, who follows the same faith that we follow. Jesus, however, redefines neighbor. And here, here we go. In Luke chapter 10, verse 25 to 37, you know the story. It's the story of the Good Samaritan. And so what happens? A Jew is beaten, he's stripped, he's robbed, and he's left for dead on this road. And what happens? A priest, a fellow Jew, comes by and leaves him. A Levite, who's like a Sunday school teacher, if you will, other Jew, walks by and leaves him. And what happens? A Samaritan comes by, an enemy. That's who the Samaritan is, an absolute enemy. Uh, at, at one point, the, um, uh, the Jews had burned down all the places of worship that the Samaritans had put up. And then the Samaritans, to get them back, put, put bones all over their temple because it defiled their temple. Are those people enemies? Oh, uh, yeah. All right? Like, absolutely they are. Okay? Like, it's worse than Green Bay in Minnesota. Okay? Like, they are just complete enemies. But the Samaritan comes by, and what does he do? He goes over to the man, to the Jew. And he binds up his wounds. He puts him on his donkey. He takes him to the innkeeper. He pays for his stay. And he says, anything else, any other debt he incurs, I will pay for it. And so what happens then? Jesus says uh, in verse 36, he says, Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. So now who do you consider an enemy? Doesn't matter. 
It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter who you think an, who you think an enemy is. It doesn't matter who you think a neighbor is because now Jesus has just redefined neighbor. Jesus has redefined neighbor as anyone, anyone that needs to be shown the mercy of Christ, which is what? Everyone. So that means it doesn't matter what race they are. It doesn't matter what social class. It doesn't matter what religion. It doesn't matter what they've done to you or what they haven't done to you, right? It doesn't matter. They're all a neighbor now. And how can he say this? How can he say this? Especially to who he's talking to. Because you've got the Gentiles sitting here and the Jews sitting right here. And Jesus is putting them all in one category as neighbors. And the Jews sitting here going, here's what the Jews says to the Gentile for so many years. We're chosen people of God. We have a right to follow God. We're righteous people and you're not. That's what they've been saying for years. For hundreds of years they've been saying that. And then what does Jesus say? Nope, you're all neighbors. How can he say that? How in the world? This is a huge deal. And here's how he can say that. Look at Ephesians 2, verse 14 through 18. And this is Jesus talking about all these different splits, all these different people groups. And here's what he says. For he himself, that's Jesus, is our peace, who has made, uh, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. What he's saying is, look, no longer does one group have the right to say we deserve to follow God. We have, a, we have an easier path to follow God. We are righteous and you are not. He's saying, no, 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 I brought them all together. There's no longer a division among the peoples. There's one way by the Spirit of, of God to get to God and that's through Christ. There's one way now. So now we have one people group, all followers of Jesus or not. We have one people group. There's not, I, you know, we're Jews, so we've been chosen, so, so you know, we are preferred by God and you're, no, no, no. It's all one. He's drawing all men to himself. Jesus says in John 12 that he'll be lifted up in what? He'll draw all men to himself. So what he's saying is it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter who you deem worthy and who you deem not worthy. We all are. We all are equally unworthy, but Christ has called us worthy, Right? And so what our attitude should be, I heard a pastor say this one time, and I really like it. He said this, I'm a nobody trying to tell everybody about somebody who can save anybody. Right? Have you heard that before? I'm a nobody trying to tell everybody about somebody who can save anybody. Right? And so that's our attitude now. There's no, there's no, uh, uh, there's no advantage. There's no one who's better than anyone. We're all, we're all the same. We're all in the same boat. We're all at the mercy of Christ, right? So let's keep going. Verse 44. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Love? Love my enemies? Love in my book is acceptance. Isn't, isn't that the same? It's hard to love somebody and then say, I, don't, I love you, but I don't like your face. Right? You know what I mean? Like, love is acceptance in some way. How do you accept someone who reviles you? Right? If that's my enemy is reviling me, how do, how do I love them? And I think the answer is in Romans chapter 12, verse 17 through 21. Listen very carefully. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy's hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not overcome by uh, evil. Uh, do not overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. 
So there are three things real quick I think we, we need to pick out here. One, no retaliation. And if you were here last week and I have to expound on this, I want to fight you in the parking lot. All right? Seriously? No, uh, we talked about this all last week, right? No retaliation. Trusting God that God fights our battles now. Trust that God will make it right. He is just. He won't let injustice stand. And maybe you won't see him make that justice. Maybe you won't see him bring them to justice. But he will. Because he is just. Trust him in that. No retaliation. The second thing, accept them but not their deeds. You can accept one, someone without their deeds. Accept them without their deeds. I, I had a, a, a huge group of friends in college that the things that they went off and did, I did, definitely did not approve of. However, whenever I did see them, I accepted them and I loved them. But I didn't accept every action that they took. So, and I think the third thing is be blameless. Look at what he says here. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. There are some people, like I said, you can come up to them and you can try to make peace and you can hug them and kiss them and, you know, you can uh, uh, buy them grizzly tickets. Uh, you can do all kinds of things for them, right? And they're still going to hate you. But it says, as far as is possible for you, if it's up to you, you do your part and you be blameless. It's like he says here, um, overcome evil with good. I can't control their evil, but I can control what? My good. And so be blameless in that. That's how we love our enemies. And look at the last part of that verse, pray for them. Now, why do we pray for them? Like, wh why? They're my enemy, right? They revile me. Why do I pray for them? Number one, you're commanded to. Look at 1 Timothy 2, 1 through 4. First of all, then I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good and is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. So what is it saying there? Pray for all people. When was the last time you prayed for your enemy? Look at what it also says here. It says, pray for kings and all leaders. When was the last time you prayed for your president? I definitely don't consider my president to be an enemy, for sure. However, do I approve of every decision he makes? Thousands and thousands of unborn children being killed, and he's supporting legislation to make that even more accessible? Do I support that? Absolutely not. What do I do? I beg heaven for my president. I beg heaven for him. And I beg heaven that God would move in him and move in his heart. Absolutely. So when was the last time you prayed for your enemy? I think number two, not only are we commanded, but it's the most helpful thing you can do for them. Look at Ephesians 2, 4 through 5. But because of his great love for us, God, who was rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you've been saved. God changes hearts. You don't. So praying for your enemy is the best thing you can possibly do. No one's ever been argued into heaven, right? Like if you sit down with your enemy who hates you and you just say, I just need to explain some things, right? We just need to talk about the Bible. How well do you think that's going to go, right? No one's ever been argued into heaven. It's God that works in their hearts, right? It's what God does. So pray for them. Not only is it the best thing you can do for them, it's the best thing you can do for yourself. Check this out. Ezekiel eleven nineteen. I will give them an undivided heart and put a new spirit in them. Listen to this. I will remove them from them their heart of stone and give them a heart of flesh. God can soften your heart for your enemy through prayer. Think about it. Seriously, what I want you to do is I want you to start praying for your enemies. 
And I don't mean like when you're in the car and someone cuts you off in traffic and you say, oh, God, kill my enemy, right? Like, no, that's not prayer, okay? It's a curse and stop. It's weird, right? No, but I mean really pray for them. Really pray God's best for them. And as you do that, there's something amazing. God takes our heart of stone and softens it and turns it into flesh. And he's the only one who can do that, right? He's the only one. So it's the best thing you can do for them, but it's also the best thing you can do for yourself. So let's keep going. Look at verse 45. So that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven, for he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. What does it mean by there, you'll be sons? And what that means is that you will resemble God. And so, like, for example, let's see it. There's my son right there. I, any, any chance I can get to put a picture of my son, I will, right? But there's my son, and he's out there somewhere, and he's, look, guy's the cutest baby ever, right? Now, unfortunately for him, he looks a lot like me. All right, like that's just, that's, that's not good, right? But it just happens, right? If you look at baby pictures of me, that's basically what I look like, right? And so here's the thing. Not only does he look like me, but probably statistically, unfortunately, he'll act a lot like me, right? It's just going to happen. You know, like, like for example, my dad uh, thinks his jokes are super funny when they're not. Uh, you know, like he is really loud and really, you know, kind of abrasive at times. Now, I'm the exception to the rule. I'm nothing like that. Right? You know, so, no, I'm kidding. I'm, I'm exactly like that, right? And so, so we, uh, he will resemble me, right? And you will know, that's, that's Grant's boy. You know what I mean? When he's six years old and he, and he does a cannonball into the baptismal, you'll know whose kid that is, right? And so in the same way, you want to be like God, then this is how you do it. Uh, you love your enemies. And this should be our goal to be like him. It absolutely should be our goal to, to be like him. And so for, by praying for them and loving them, you will be like God. You'll resemble God. Uh, look at what it says here. For he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good. He sends his rain on the just and on the unjust. What does this say? God's gracious to all. He's gracious to all. Have you noticed that your neighbor... You know, the one who you're pretty sure is, is an abusive husband. Have you noticed that when it rains at your house, it rains at his too? God is good to all. He's gracious to all people. And yet we try to siphon off his goodness only to those that we find deserving. Psalm 145 verse 9 says, The Lord is good to all. His mercy's over all that he has made. We can't deny the goodness of God to anyone because God's been great to us. It's like Jonah. I think about Jonah, and you know the story. Jonah and the whale. I'm sure you, that's what you think of when I say the, the name Jonah. But Jonah's a prophet of God. And God said, you need to go tell the Ninevites that, they are, that, that they're, they're doing wrong. They're, they're rebellious to me. And if they don't change their life, if they don't turn back to me, then I'm going to wipe them out. And Jonah goes, no, 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 no. They don't deserve your grace. I know what's going to happen. I'm going to tell them to repent and they'll do it, of course, because who wants to die? They'll do it, right? And you, you, God, you're so gracious. You're going to accept them and love them anyway. And no, 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 they don't deserve that. So what does Jonah do? He runs. He runs away. He gets on the boat. There's a huge storm. And, they, and, and he says, you know, the storm isn't going to stop until you guys throw me overboard. And so Jonah's headed to his death. He says, just kill me. Just throw me overboard, right? So he's headed to his death. And what happens? A whale swallows him. And he's stuck, not in this huge, looks like an apartment with just bones over it, right? No, he's in an intestinal tract, okay? Really great place to be, okay? And so he's stuck in there and he starts to pray. And he says, God, I was headed to my death and yet you saved me. And so he, he vomits uh, Jonah back up on the beach. And just picture that for a second. Remember last time you were in Destin? Yeah, imagine that, right? Right, you know, can I borrow your towel? No, all right. 
But he vomits him back up on the beach, right? And he says, hey, Jonah, will you go do it now? And Jonah goes, oh, okay. And so he goes and he tells them all. And what happens? The whole town, all 122,000 of them, they all turn to God, right? And what does God do? He's gracious and he's loving and he forgives them. And what does Jonah say? Jonah chapter 4. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he, play, he prayed to the Lord and said, Oh Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you're a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, and relenting from disaster. Therefore, O oh Lord, please take my life from me, for it's better for me to die than to live. He's saying, they don't deserve it, right? I knew you were going to do this. They don't deserve it. So if you're going to spare them, then you just kill me. And what does God say? What does Jesus say? God says here in verse 4, the Lord said, do you do well to be angry? In other words, do you have any right to be angry? I showed my mercy to you, and I'll show it to them because I want to, because I'm a gracious God. You don't decide who I show my mercy to. Psalm 135, 6 says, whatever the Lord pleases, he does. In heaven and on earth, in the seas and all the depths. He's saying, I was gracious to you and I will be gracious to all men because that's what I want to do. That's who I am. So when we try to deny love to people and the grace of God to people because we feel like they've wronged us, it's not your right to deny it. It's God's right to give it and he's given it. So it's not your right to deny it. Look at verse 46. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? Even a tax collector who is absolutely hated loves people who loves them, right? They cheat everybody, but they love those who love them. A dog knows how to do that, right? A, a, a dog knows if, if you love me, okay. Anytime you come to the door, what does the dog do? Hey, dude, good to see you, right? You know, like pet me. Like that's what dogs do, right? Uh, Max, my son, is in this um, anything that he thinks he might possibly get his hands on, he's just grabbing. He's just grabbing everything, right? Which makes dinner really fun. He's just grabbing just absolutely everything. And, uh, and so um, my dogs, we really kept the dogs away from him as much as possible. And, and my puggle, um, he jumps up on the couch and he kept getting closer. And we're like, no, get away. So finally I said, you know what? Uh, Max is big enough. He's sitting up and stuff. Okay, it's time to meet. Let's go. And so, you know, I imagine the music playing in slow motion as they come together, you know. And so Riley gets closer, closer. And Max just goes, and he lights up, and he's like, what is this? And he reaches out, and Riley reaches forward, you know, sticking his face forward, and Max just grabs his ear and twists it, right? <laughs> and Riley makes this noise I've never heard him make before, right? And so now it's amazing. If you don't want Riley around you, just pick up Max, okay? And like, he'll, I, Riley, get off the couch. He won't move, right? Pick up Max and just point him to, all right, I'm down, I'm down, Okay? Like, even dogs know, if you love me, I'll love you, right? Even they know that. And, and so what he's saying is, remember, the people that you're dealing with, remember who he's talking to. He's talking to citizens of heaven. He's talking to followers of Jesus. This is who this lesson is for. So, so remember that. If you're saying that you're a follower of Christ, and you only love at an instinctual level, you only love those who love you, then what are you showing to people? How are you displaying the love of Christ? That's not the love of Christ. The love of Christ is incredible. The love of Christ is, is unfathomable. The love of Christ is something that is not matched by anything we can imagine. And so when you only love those who love you, what are you showing? How are you showing that to other people? John 13, 35 says, By this all people will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. Your love is a testament to Christ. I think about Stephen, the first martyr. And if you know the story of Stephen, Stephen was just a kid. 
Stephen was probably younger than me. And he was brought before all of these, uh, these leaders of, 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 the, uh, of, the, of the religious system at the time. And he just proclaimed Christ to them. He proclaimed Christ, and so they, they, they killed him. He was the first one stoned. Now, if you don't know how they used to stone people back then, I'm talking bad stone, not happy stone, right? Okay, so if you don't know how they used to do that back then, you, we'll explain it to you at lunch. Um, the, for, the accuser would take a stone, and they would put them down. They would hold them down, and they would hit them over the head and try to kill them with one hit. And then if that didn't work, the second person would throw a stone, and then everyone would throw stones together. And look at how Stephen died. Here, listen to this. This is, this is the, the death of Stephen. Acts 7, verse 60. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Falling to his knees. What does that mean? That means that Stephen, after being hit in the head, got up and got in a kneeling position on purpose to show everyone around them I forgive you and I love you so much that I'm going to ask my father to forgive you too for what you're doing to me. Do you think Saul, who later became Paul and was holding the coats and watched that happen, do you think Saul ever forgot that? Do you think those, Pete, those men who murdered him ever forgot that showing of love? You don't forget love like that. And so Stephen displayed the love of Christ in that moment. Absolutely. Look at verse 47. And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? Now, his audience, remember, mostly Jews here, some Gentiles, uh, they, they had this idea that, that even common civility, even, even the, the common courtesy of greeting one another, they would only greet other Jews. Literally. If there was a Gentile who would walk up, they wouldn't even... Hi. They wouldn't know, right? They wouldn't even do that. They wouldn't even give them common courtesy. If you were a visitor from out of town and you said, excuse me, where does this path lead? They wouldn't even tell you. Literally, that's what they were known for. There was a Roman historian who wrote how rude he thought the Jews were. But this idea that the Jews did this, it carried over to the Gentiles and the Gentiles did the same. They wouldn't greet the Jews anymore. And they would only greet their own people. And so he's saying that... Um, when, when uh, uh, even in these casual situations, and we do that, right? Even in casual situations, I feel like my responsibility to show the love of Christ and the grace of Christ in a casual situation, not so much anymore. I'm in a casual, I can relax, right? Like yesterday, I called the Germantown Commissary, which is my favorite barbecue place in the world. If you want to take me there, I'm cool with that. Uh, but anyway, I love the commissary. We ordered commissary, and the guy was super busy. And on the other, on the other end of the line, he was the rudest he's ever been, like anyone's ever been to me when I called up there. I was so mad. You know, like, like I was talking to him and I made an order for something. We changed the size of it. And he's like, well, you told me this originally. I know I'm changing it. Well, I mean, now I've got to change it. I'm sorry. You have to take your pencil and scratch it out and write a new word. Like it was just, oh, I was so, so mad. And you think of those moments, I'll never see him again anyway. He doesn't know who I am, right? Like I can act however I want. Or maybe there was one time we had the worst waitress of all time. And I'm trying to remember, I really can't remember if I was with friends or with my family, but I remember she was the worst waitress of all time. The worst, okay? Like just, oh, and she couldn't get anything right. We never had drink refills. And we started to figure out this is her first night. And so as we realized she was new, 
we were kind to her and we were gracious to her and we tipped her well and we told her what a great job she's doing and you know how hard it is and we know it's hard but hey you got one of our entrees right so good job and so anyway we were really kind to her and she stopped and she told us you're the only people who've been nice to me all night and so we told her we told her that that we cared about her and and we even prayed for her you know and so even in those moments, even all, remember all interactions, even if they're small, even if it's in traffic, even if it's in passing, even if it's at Wendy's, even if it's at Chili's, wherever, even if it's wherever you're taking me to lunch, it doesn't matter, right? Whatever interaction, no matter how small, God is sovereign. He's placed you there for a reason. He's placed them in your path. Still show them the grace and courtesy and the love of Christ. Still do that because that's still on us to do. And look at the last verse here, verse 48. You therefore be, must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Now, this is not just a conclusion to what we just read today. This is a conclusion to all of what we've studied for the past seven weeks. This, or six weeks. This is what this is. So what he's saying, he's concluding all this discourse on character. He's saying, don't be, don't be consumed with anger. Don't be consumed with lust. Don't divorce, but focus your energy on your marriage, not on getting out of your marriage. Don't give oaths, but be full of integrity. Don't retaliate. Trust God. And, and then he finally says, be perfect. And you might say, there's no such thing as perfect. Really? Let me tell you a perfect story. Are you ready? Here we go. The perfect story. There's a perfect man who met a perfect woman. And, as, and after a perfect courtship, they had a perfect wedding. Their life together was, of course, perfect. One snowy, stormy Christmas Eve, this perfect couple was driving along a winding road when they noticed someone at the roadside in distress. Being the perfect couple, they stopped to help. There stood Santa Claus with a huge bundle of toys. Not, this is a true story. Not wanting to disappoint any children on the eve of Christmas, the perfect couple loaded Santa and his toys into their vehicle. Soon they were driving along delivering the toys. Unfortunately, the driving conditions deteriorated and the perfect couple and Santa Claus had an accident. Only one of them survived the accident. Who was a survivor? Answer, the perfect woman. She's the only one that really existed in the first place. Everyone knows there's no Santa Claus and there's no such thing as a perfect man. <laughs> Hang on. Men, men, I haven't sold you out. A male's response. So, if there is no perfect man and no Santa Claus, the perfect woman must have been driving. This explains why there's a car accident. <laughs> so, what, what does perfect mean? What does perfect mean, right? It, maybe not it's our definition of perfect, but what does perfect mean? Perfect, when we think of perfect, think about completeness. Think about a, a machine and all its parts are together. That's perfect. Okay, that's complete. And so that's what he's talking about. Be complete. Be consistent. Don't settle for false righteousness. Meaning, don't just say, uh, oh, well, at least I didn't kill anybody, but you still have hate in your heart. Then that's not perfect. That's not complete. Okay, you're still lacking. And so how do we do this? What's the key to this? The key to this is the Word of God. Being in the Word of God daily. 2 Timothy 3.16 says this and 17. All scriptures breathed out by God, profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction for training in righteousness, listen to this, that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. Read it and do what it says. Now, hang on. When I say this, I know this gets overwhelming for some people and they go, oh my, are you serious? This whole, read this? Have you read, Grant, have you read Numbers? No, I know. Okay, calm down. But I'm not saying get in here and read like eight chapters or even read a whole chapter. Here's what I am saying. How, it's, it's so much more useful instead of you reading an entire chapter and going, good, done, 
It's so much more helpful for you to read a verse or two verses. Read something until you understand it and then say, how can I apply this to my life? And go do it that day. Now, I'm not, I, here's what I am saying. Forget about yesterday. Don't worry about tomorrow. Just say, what can I do today? How can this change me today? So look at a verse, look at two maybe, and say, and stop there and say, what can I do about this today? How does God want me to live this out today? And as you do that, God will make you complete. He'll equip you in this way. And so I've said this before. I'm going to put this back up here. This is how I read my Bible. And and this isn't perfect, but I'm going to put this up here for you. First, I, I pray, I read, then I think, then I write. I pray that God would speak to me. I pray that my heart is right. And then I I read one or two verses maybe. I think about those, really think about those. Isn't that an amazing step that we even have to put it down because we forget so many times. We just read it to read it. No, no, think about it. How can I apply this to my life? Then I write and I write out what I think God wants me to do with this verse today, how he wants me to live that out. So pray, read, think, and write. And so, this is how I live my new life? Yes. This is how I live this life Christ has called me to? Yes. This is how I learned to love my enemies? Yes. Because as you stay in here, you'll be humbled at the grace of God. You'll be reminded of the grace of God for everyone. You'll be reminded that God has a plan for you. And you'll try to live that out. Yes, it will absolutely equip me. And so, I'd like to close with this story, if you don't mind. Um, and, and I'm going to have the, the band, you, you come on back up here. But as I close, um, there was a time when I was in high school and, and my, my lovely bride at the time, uh, wasn't my bride at the time, in high school obviously, uh, she was in charge of getting a, uh, someone to sing a song at this thing, at uh, this student ministry thing we were doing. And I'd never played guitar or sang in front of anybody before. Um, and obviously you see how well it went because I'm still not doing it. But... Um, she, she heard me play and sing on a beach um, on a trip we took, and, and she thought it was good enough, and uh, she was already blinded by love, and um, so she asked me to do it, and I was so nervous. There's probably, I don't know, 150, 200 people that I was going to have to do this in front of, and I was so, so nervous, and so you know what I did? I was in the Word of God. I was praying. I was all about Jesus. Like, like I was never more jesus up than in that moment. Because I was like, God, I can't do this without you. I, I am so nervous. There's nothing I can do in this moment without you. I am not good enough. I'm not equipped. This has got to be all about you or nothing. Why am I doing this if it's not for you? And so I was in the word of God. I was praying. I was set. That night, um, before I was supposed to go up there on stage, this, this guy grabbed me and he said, Hey, man, do you mind if we talk? Um, Absolutely. This guy, he had had a really troubled past with, with drugs and alcohol and some things. And, and, you know, I'd seen him in church lately, so I thought, maybe God's doing something in his life. It's really exciting. He said, hey, man, can we talk? Said, absolutely. And he said, can we go in the locker room here? Because it's really busy in the gym. And I said, yeah, dude. So we go in the locker room, and he grabs me, and he throws me into the lockers. And he pins me up against the locker. And I was like, what? What? Now, look, I'm not the biggest guy in the world. What? Why? Would you laugh? I'm not, right? However, I, I, I definitely had a temper back then. And, you know, if you wronged me, um, mama said knock you out, right? Like that was my attitude. So in that moment, I was like, okay. And then, and I was ready to go. And as he's holding me there, all of a sudden, peace. Like I never felt before, peace. And I loved this guy. I barely knew him. I loved him in that moment more than I probably loved any friend before. 
And someone had set, spread some rumors about me, and he was just full of hatred, and he hated God, and he hated the church, and he saw me as a huge part of the church, so he hated me too. And he's just spewing hatred at me and cursing me and telling me all these terrible things he's going to do to me and all these things. And all I can say is, dude, I love you and I forgive you. Now, when that encounter was over and he walked away, all of my emotions returned. All of a sudden, it was Grant back. You know, where is he? I'm going to get him, right? You know, and, and I'm just, I'm shaking. I'm, I'm upset and all these things. How in that moment was I equipped? How in that moment was I equipped to look at someone who's literally telling me, I hate you and I'm going to kill you? How in that moment can I look right back at him in the face, smile and tell him that I love him and whatever he has to do to me, he can do it, but I forgive him and I love him in the name of Jesus. How can I do that? If he had caught me the day before, maybe the day after, that might have gone down a little bit differently. But that day, I was equipped because what? I was in the Word of God. And I said, this day, no matter what happens, God, I'm going to live for you. And I'm going to do what you showed me. And I was equipped. It wasn't a testament to what a great guy Grant is. It's a testament to what a great God God is. And so this morning, as, as we sing and, and we do this, this time of invitation, Christians, I want to say this to you first. If when I said enemy, you thought of a brother or a sister, you repent of that today. You repent of that today. If they're in this room, you go to them right now and you make that okay. And you apologize and you ask for forgiveness. Maybe some of you need to come up here and you need to pray. Maybe you need to make this your altar. You need to give that up. For other Christians in here, maybe, maybe it's not an enemy in the body, praise God, but maybe you do have an attitude of an enemy outside. Maybe someone's wronged you and you're not letting it go and, and you consider them an enemy and you do hate them. You don't show them love. Maybe you need to repent of that today. Maybe you need to start praying for them now. Not tomorrow when you wake up. Not tonight when you go to bed. Now. Maybe you need to do that now. So you do that now. For some of you in this room, when you think about enemy, maybe you think of yourself. And you think, a perfect God in me? No way. I've got to be an enemy. Here's the reality. Christ has made peace for you. Christ made peace for you. And you say, well, I, I mean, I'm not good enough. I, I'm not worthy enough. Yeah, he knows. But he did it for you. Ephesians that we just read. While we were dead, while we were helpless in our sin. And maybe you feel that way. Christ has made you alive. All that's left is to accept that peace. And to say, I'm not going to live my life this way anymore. I'm going to live it his way. So maybe you need to accept that peace today for the first time. Whatever. I don't know what you need to do. But in this time, as we sing this song, we're going to stand together. I'm going to be right down here. I'm on this little front. I'm right here, right by this row. Brother John's right here. You come talk to us. You need to pray with us. You need to talk to us and say, hey, I need to know about this peace that God's made for me because I definitely don't live in it. I need to know that forgiveness. I need to know that acceptance. You come talk to us right now. Some of you need to make this, this front area uh, just an altar to God and just kneel and pray and, and repent of your attitude towards people. I don't know. But you use it however you want. God's moving in your heart, then you respond however he wants you to respond. But this is your time. So would you stand with us as we sing? Heavenly Father, move in us. Bring us to repentance where we need to repent, God. If there are those in here who don't know you, God, may they come to know you today. May they say, not my way anymore, but yours. May they find that peace. So God, use this time. Whatever you want to do, change our hearts however you want to do it. Use this time. It's all about you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.